Hello, and welcome back to the Enterprise Linux Security Podcast. I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Zhao, and we have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about um, catch up with the Grand Theft Auto source code. We're going to talk about the everything package and why it's not good to have everything in a package. And, of course, we're going to talk about why we should stop paying threat actors. How are you? Yeah. All good. Long time since we've been at this. Um, mm -hmm. There were the holidays and all of that. There was some other things that made it impossible to attend. Um, but we're back again. And yeah, today we're going to be taking some time to, I wouldn't say close some stories from last year, but at least add more context to those stories. Specifically the one that you mentioned about Rockstar, because the, this new development happened right on Christmas Eve. It was Rockstar's Christmas gift from the hackers. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. And if that keeps on giving that they didn't ask for. <laughs> I, I think at this time they probably don't want any more gifts like this. Um, right. But the, the thing is, if you recall, this was lapses. Um, at the time, the threat group and law enforcement arrested some people, and they were from Oxford, I believe. Um, and supposedly, the, the matter was closed with that. It turns out that on Christmas Eve, the source code for GTA 5 was leaked online. And it's one of those things that as soon as it hits online, it's never going away, no matter how hard Rockstar is trying to, to make it go away. Um, so right. the the thing here is that apparently this was exfiltrated during the, the hack earlier last year. And yeah, if you consider that Rockstar is a multi, multi-billion dollar company and there, much of that uh, value comes from GTA, this is pretty massive for them. And yeah, not confirming or denying that I looked at the, at the package, it seems to be fully complete, yeah. Oh boy, that's uh, that's uh, if only they open sourced it before they started development, and then it would be oh, yeah, you know, because I heard the source code for the Linux kernel leak. Did you hear about that? <laughs> like every single day, it leaks, yeah, um, it's leaking, it's leaking. Actually, that was one of the most read comments on Reddit around the, the, the source code leak for, for GTA was that hey, they finally made it open source. So, oh yeah, yeah, they did. Not it, they they did it kicking and screaming or a little forcefully, but it it happened not the way that it could have happened or the best way to make it happen. But yeah, that sucks for them because it's 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 you know I joke it's hard to change your development style in the company direction and things like that. It, it, they're being a big company, it's harder to change direction. So for them, you know, it's just releasing games, getting profit for said games, paying developers for their work on said games. And um, now the source code is leaked out and that's, that has them upset. And that's uh, proprietary software. You know, that's yeah. not something they want to happen. And apparently it's compilable to the actual game. Uh, so, yeah, it's not like some oh. source code leaks that come out, but you're missing libraries and you can't actually compile it. You might look at the code and then re-implement some of the stuff in stuff that you're developing. Say if you're a competitor with low scruples or something like that, and you want to do it. Uh, but in this case, it's, it looks like to be, it is compilable actual to the, to the deliverable. Um, oh my gosh! They, someone could put SpongeBob in the game now because they have the source code, and they could make Grand Theft Auto under the sea or something. And it, it's like you never know. It's just like some but people then again, were. Yeah, some people yeah. were jokingly adding that finally they're going to have local multiplayer with locally hosted servers. 
Um, yeah. Right. Um, but this brings up some other threads that are not all bringing back to the same thing. Um, the leak of the footage for GTA 6 that happened like three months ago, four months ago. Time is weird after the pandemic. Um, yeah. It wasn't exactly known at the time that that video leaked, if it was related to the previous breach or not. Hmm. Uh, because lapses had been arrested, so everybody assumed that that was it and nobody else had access to the information that had been obtained. That's obviously not true anymore. Uh, so who knows what else is out there at this point. Um, maybe there's code for other stuff in the leak. I mean, when GTA 6, the trailer launched earlier in December, it was everybody was mad about it. It was the next big thing and all of that. Um, again, and this is going to be the main <laughs> the main topic of the, the, the episode today, is that threat actors are making a lot of money here. They are. As, as the titles are read, stop paying them. In this case, they already stole the information, but yeah, let's try to avoid uh, maintaining this economy here because... Again, they are doing pretty well by themselves. We really don't need to help them anymore. You know, and as we're going to talk about, um, well, I'll just, you know what, I'll just hold what I was going to say until we get to that topic, because there's a lot to say about why we shouldn't, why we should make sure that nobody pays these people and we shouldn't pay them. And yeah, um, it, and it's not easy, but it's, it's also, you know, paying them is not the right thing to do, as we'll discuss. Yeah, and again, to continue to put the, the values here in perspective, um, there was a report from the FBI and CISA, and we mentioned them a lot of times, but they do provide some good information to the community. Um, there was a report at the end of the year that puts perspective, that gives you some values, that, because, okay, it's really bad, and then people are paying, and it's a lot of money, but how much is a lot of money? So the FBI put out a report around the black suit. Uh, if you remember that name, it's from an episode where we were discussing Barracuda and uh, other fish-related malware uh, variants that we talked about at the time. They were very original in the names, but the black suit, it's a threat actor group. And the FBI looked at their, their ransomware requests. And in the period of September, 2022 to November, 2023, that's a bit over a year, they have an outstanding $275 million in ransomware requests. That's a lot of money. That's much more than many companies make in a year. Um, so this is why cybersecurity is tricky to solve. The incentives on the other side are just too high. There's just a lot of incentives to keep doing the keep finding breaches, keep exploiting them, keep stealing information, keep um, deploying ransomware to as many targets as possible. Um, yep. Yeah, it's a really tricky situation when the other side has this amount of incentives. And on the security researcher side, the payouts for bug bounties and the rest of those things are not up to par, not even remotely up to par. So, yeah, this kind of makes it yeah. uneven to, to fight these things. So to put this in perspective, obviously, a company gets hit with this, you know, give us money if you ever want to see your data again, essentially. Now, there's a, a lot of things wrong with that, aside from the fact that it's a wrong thing to have done to, so, to somebody, obviously. But, you know, there's no honor system 
And even if a you know one of these people would give you your data back, you still might not get it back. Why? Well, think of it this way. If the FBI takes down the command and control server that they're using for their malware, there's nowhere there's you how's your data going to get unlocked if everything is is wiped out? Um that doesn't mean that they're going to message you say, "Oh, don't bother paying us because the server isn't online so we can't restore your data. So just keep your money, it's fine. Uh we can't do anything." They're not going to say that. They're going to take your money. Even if there's no way to get the data back, they'll tell you they can or maybe they had no intention of giving you your data back in the first place. So you really don't know because obviously we shouldn't pay them in the first place because that's just incentivizing them, but at the same time you're you very well could be wasting your money. You you still might not see anything from them. And you also mentioned the bug bounty thing. I mean, we have a lot of people that are getting into cybersecurity because if they find a bug, the payout's pretty good. I mean, the, how cool would it be if you're in college and then you get to pay your college tuition for the rest of your year because you found um, some bug and it just pays for everything. Um, but like you're saying, that's that's not as much money as the threat actors get. So, So what that means is if I am someone with questionable intent and I find a bug, that no one knows about allegedly, I could do one of two things. I could report it, get some money for it, or I could use it as a zero day and you know basically just use it as a way to get money and ra put ransomware out there. So it kind of depends on where someone falls into that, but you know it's really hard for the security industry to pay anybody as much as the threat actors are extorting from people. So the incentive is there and it's going to continue to be there as long as there's that much money in it. And earlier this week, your friend Tom, he put out a video where he was talking about the, the two things that uh, businesses shouldn't say because it puts them out of business. Um, mm. And one of the things was that was the it won't happen to me. This oh, amount of yeah. money is why it will happen to you. This amount of money is why you will also be a target. Your organization is no different from anybody else's and it's just another organization that they will try to extort money from right when the payout is this high it doesn't matter if your company is large is small it doesn't matter it's a numbers game the most amount of targets that they can find the most amount of requests that they make means that they have higher chances of some of those making it the, the actual payout and that's right. where they're going to get their money from. Of course, not everybody is going to pay. They won't see those 275 millions, hopefully. But again, it's a numbers game. The more targets that they have, the higher the probabilities that some will pay. And it's still a considerable amount of money. I mean, it's more than the majority of companies make in a year. Um, we always hear about the big five and Amazon and Google and Microsoft and all of those and Apple. Most companies are not that. Most companies are much smaller than that. And their cash flow is much smaller than that. They don't have those resources. Right. Um, and this is considerable. And keep in mind that this is just from one threat group alone and just from ransomware activities alone. It doesn't include stuff like stealing data and then selling the data on underground forums and all of that. It doesn't mean it doesn't include other stuff the phishing and spam and all of those activities. And it, again, it's just from one group. There are countless others out there. So you can see the how large this market is, how large this economy is. And again, it will happen to you as well if you're not careful. And even if you are right. careful, this is why 
when we say that you should always patch everything, it only takes one flaw, and they will have the incentives to look for any and all flaws that might exist. It doesn't matter. They will automate the process. They will look at anything that you have exposed. They will try to find anything that you missed. And this yep. is why. This is exactly why that happens. I don't, I don't care how good of a security person you are. You could be the best of the best and thought of everything. It, it still doesn't mean you're not going to potentially have an issue. It just means you've thought of everything that you could think of, not that you've done everything you could do. But even if you did, all it takes is one software vulnerability that hasn't been discovered yet that you're not protect protected against. And, you know, no matter how good you are, things um, still happen. So it's it's easy to get overconfident, especially when you're learning really, you know, extensive skills. I mean, this stuff is not easy to learn. So obviously, you're going to feel very proud of it when you start to get a handle on this and feel very proud of yourself when you secure a system. But the reality of the situation is that there's three rules to achieve perfect, unhackable security. And these are the rules. Don't use a computer, don't turn one on, and don't own one. Perfect security, you will never get hacked. If you break any one of those three rules, you are vulnerable, period. End of discussion. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Sometimes it's tricky to talk about it, and we were talking about it before we started the, started the recording. This is why it feels more and more like cybersecurity is unsolvable. Um, there's just too much going on on the other side for, for anything to be secure. One of the stories that we're going to get into further along um, ties directly into this. You might try to change things, you might try to solve um, the problem the best way possible, but there will always be somebody else looking. And one of the big stories of the year is that CentOS is going to go end of life this summer. Um, we are running a survey. Actually, we run a survey at the end of the year. And it was interesting to see that some people were still using CentOS 6 and CentOS 8 without using any patching sources and without deploying any patches for those systems. So they were basically just going ahead with those systems, run, keeping, keeping them running in the chance that nobody is looking at them and nobody is going to try to hack them. Hmm. That's a really tricky position to be in. Um, CentOS 7 is going to go end of life in the summer. If you still have CentOS 7 systems, you need to find a strategy to deal with them and to find an alternative into getting some security on those systems past the end of life date. If you have a considerable amount of those systems, then it's going to get trickier and you probably do not have the time to do a migration on all of them. So you need to start looking at alternatives and ways to address security past the end of life date because that's coming whether you're ready or not. And it's always a big, big deal. Like I've never, I don't think I've ever seen in my entire career an OS upgrade from an end of life situation where the majority were on top of it ever. Like it's just always a big deal upgrading the operating system, even though it's kind of not, but it is because in the enterprise, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's not a lot of work in the terms of it's not as bad as people make it out to be. Oh my God, we can't update everything, anything because it might break production or stop the supply chain. Well, I think a, you know, a security issue will really stop your uh, supply chain or whatever it is. So uh, we have to keep up to date. It's the only way. I know it's not the, you know, most uh, most fun thing to deal with, but if you keep putting it off, it's just going to get worse. 
We joked at the time that uh, Red Hat went ahead with the changes and cancelled CentOS 8 before cancelling mm-hmm. CentOS 7 and that only the <laughs> the stragglers were using CentOS 7 and those were the lucky ones. Yeah, that luck is running out and it's going to run out this summer. Um, don't push it. You've already been very lucky once. It's not going to happen twice. So, <laughs> again, that was the public service announcement for the day while you were fixing your, your issues there with the connection. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I won't. I won't push it again today, but I might uh, revisit CentOS 7 being end of life. Because again, um, the numbers that we're seeing at TechScare from people running older systems without support, without patches of any type, it's a considerable risk, not just for those people, not just for those organizations, but for everybody else as well. Um, Those systems will get breached. Those systems will deploy malware or command and control or something like that that some third party is going to abuse. And then everybody else is at risk because the attacks will come from those systems. Um, Do your part. It's already hard enough to keep up with patches when those are available. If they are not available, you might feel lucky that you have nothing to deploy, but that's not a good thing. Yeah, and we can't think about this like, you know, this is going to be end of life this summer. So I have this summer up until this summer to deal with it. No, start now. If you're using CentOS 7, start right now. Don't don't wait. It, it's not going to be quick for most companies, unless you're a company that only has a couple of servers, one or two, or a small company. Sure, that's not that big of a deal compared to others. But start right now. Don't, don't look at this like I have time until summer because it'll creep up on you quickly. And when it does, you're going to be updating everything all at once, or you'll find something wrong you didn't um, account for, not enough testing. Start right now. Set up a dev environment, um, isolated dev environment, evaluate whatever your replacement is going to be, try to get your company's software working on there and your you know, settings or whatever you use at your company. Just test all of that now. Just get it working. Be ready for it, because if you wait, you will regret it. I promise you will regret it. <laughs> I'm going to share with you a story of how the sausage gets made. Um, (laughs) When CentOS 8 went end of life and people start running out of support, um, on my team on TechScare, we were paying attention to the vulnerabilities that were coming out because obviously we had a business interest in getting people to have support and getting people to acquire our services to, to have support. And the question was never, is, the, is there a vulnerability that's going to appear for CentOS 8? We were actually running a poll on how long it would take for a high-profile vulnerability to come out targeting CentOS 8. It took three weeks. And after three weeks, there was a really important vulnerability at the time that targeted CentOS 8 systems, and there was no patch available from the vendors. People were either recompiling the the, the affected package at the time on their own systems and dealing with all the issues that that brings along, or they were scrambling to take those systems off the air to prevent them from being breached. It's a really stressful situation when you're in that spot. So yeah, it's not a... Will a vulnerability happen after the end of life? It will definitely happen after the end of life. It might not be the first day, the second day, the third day, but it li- likely won't take a month. So, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's the story. So we're going to, the CentOS 7 thing is going to be a recurring thread for a while. I mean, we're going to probably mention it a few times at least, and some things will come out around it. It's going to be a, a process. 
and it's likely going to be one of the big stories of the year. So keep an eye out on that. Um, there is another facepalm story that we have for you today. And this is one of those that you should get your popcorn because there's some storytelling involved. This is uh, great. This is great. <laughs> okay. So during the holidays, there was, um, I'm not going to call it a security researcher, a developer created a, mm -hmm. a Node.js developer. Let's start framing that correctly. A Node.js developer created a package called everything, as in everything in the kitchen sink. And he created that package and he uploaded it to, to a registry, a package registry, a Node.js package registry. And interesting thing about that package, it didn't do anything. It actually only included five other packages as dependencies. Each of those packages in turn had 800 dependencies. In total, all the packages on that registry were included transitively as dependencies on everything, everything the package. So funny thing, due to another story that I'll get to in a moment, the registry had this policy that if something depends on your package, then you cannot remove it. Okay, this is to prevent developers going rogue. And we have an, an example of why that was applied. Developers going rogue and re removing their packages from the registry and then wrecking all kinds of havoc and breaking applications and breaking dependencies and all of that. So this guy created everything, uploaded it to the registry and effectively prevented everybody else who had packages there from removing theirs from, from the registry. This is really wow. bad on so many levels there were people who had who had found security bugs on their own packages and couldn't remove them so people would continue to download them because everything was there and yeah this was during the holiday so you can imagine it wasn't exactly eating turkey during christmas or something like that so basically what we have is dependency hell as a weapon yeah, exactly um Node.js has dependencies like Python has dependencies that you can pull into your code, like your Linux distribution has dependencies. And this was even worse a few decades ago when you had to fix the dependency hell yourself. Um, now it's a bit easier. The, the package managers on Linux are a bit smarter and can handle that better, but it wasn't like that always. So yeah. let's add a bit of insult to the injury that is already created. When you add a dependency to an NPM package, you can actually specify the specific version that you want to depend on. So your code depends on version so on package so and so version 2.3.0. However, if you omit the version and add an asterisk instead, you can depend on any version of that package. See where I'm going? Mm -hmm. Everything only uses asterisks. For the versions so not only was everything locking all other packages in the registry he was locking every single version of those packages that were present on the on the repository how's that for a good holiday so the the obvious question then is why why did this individual decide to do this i know the answer but we have to define it here like why did this person decide that this was something that they wanted to do Okay, according to a post that he made on GitHub that is linked on an article that we will share with the, with this episode, um, it was a test and then a prank. And I'm using hair quotes here liberally 
um, because it was neither. It was just to, to give everybody else a bad time. Um, and he succeeded at that. So imagine then if you had a situation, and we've seen this, supply chain attacks, where you have a, you know, a package that's doing some naughty things and needs to be taken out because it's infecting people's systems. So if I understand everything correctly, if this everything package depended on everything, including things that were vulnerable, you wouldn't be able to remove the vulnerable or, you know, uh, breached package from the repository or registry. It would just be stuck there because yeah. his package depends on it. So you can't remove it. Even if removing it is a good idea in terms of security, if there's a security reason to do that, you can't do that. Yeah. That, and that's the thing. We actually dodged the bullet there. Imagine if there was a package with a log4j type of vulnerability in it. That's perfectly like, likely to happen at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, log4j is not special in any way due to its risk or anything, just because it's used everywhere. So right. no JS packages are used everywhere. So yeah, um, it's not impossible for that to happen. And this type of behavior could be abused by a threat group to after discovering the vulnerability, making sure that nobody could remove the affected version from the registry so that people would continue to download that affected package and would continue to spread the vulnerability to their applications and to their websites. That would have been even worse. Now, you can ask, why the hell does the registry implemented this? Funny that you ask. 2016, um, there was a developer that created a, a package called LeftPad, I believe. It's either LeftPad or PadLeft. Um, it was 11 lines of code. And I'll get into another example why this is silly. But 11 lines of code, that was the entire package. And what it did was it added spaces to the left of a string to the required length that you ask it to do, just basically to center a string or something like that. 11 lines of code to add about four spaces to your string. <laughs> yeah, there's worse yeah. examples there, but LeftPad had 11 lines of code and the developer uploaded it to a registry and people used it a lot. Um, it turns out that due to that thing that we've talked about in the past of uh, open source developers not being comfortable with corporations using their code without, uh, any, re without any payment, without any reward, um, so he was, it depends a lot on if you agree with that or not, but depending on your point of view, he was either justified or not justified in going ahead and saying, oh yeah, but I can remove my code if I want. And then he proceeded to remove his code. At the time, this policy was not in effect. And the thing is, when he removed that package, he broke a lot of websites out there, major websites out there. Um, he created outage on multiple services. He broke a lot of third-party applications that depended transitively on his package. And so the registry, the NPM registry, went ahead and implemented this policy. Um, if your package de depends on something else, then you cannot um, that package cannot be removed. And it was well, they meant well when they made the policy change. And this is why we cannot have good things on IT. Right. somebody will undoubtedly be looking at ways to abuse it. So they implemented the change and people immediately started looking at ways of abusing it. And guess what? They found them. 
And this, you're, you're right, we dodged a bullet because somebody could have created a vulnerable package and then along with it created their yeah. own everything package that depends on that and everything else and then yeah. caused some havoc there. And um, has there been any word if they're going to do anything to adjust the policy or is there anything from um, the registry about this at all? Um, it turns out that support had to be called in to help fix this because the dependencies were so bad that at some point it was impossible to remove everything in the package. So support had to go in and mark some of the, those dependencies as private so that he could eventually remove his own. Uh, lots of steps. But, but why did they do that? There's a very easy and fast solution to this problem. We could just rename the package to nothing. Fixed. <laughs> if only... If only everything was so easy to fix. I wish. Um, yeah. But still, I'm not aware of any far-reaching far, far change that has been implemented yet. It will undoubtedly lead to something. The thing is, just like the previous change that was made, the new one will eventually be abused because people will start looking. Now that they know that this type of thing is possible to exploit, they will start looking. And the thing is, Node.js is by any means the only language where this type of dependencies happen. Like I said, right. Python, like <laughs> the Linux distributions themselves, it was actually yeah. it was actually not that hard some years ago to create a state where your system could not be updated because one bad package that had creeped in somehow depended on a very old version of say glibc or the kernel or something like that the kernel headers so that in turn prevented you from updating all the major packages which in turn prevented all the others from updating and it was very easy to to find your system in that uh, in that situation and then it was getting pretty tricky to get out of it Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, so we laugh because it is funny, but not in a, you know, we're glad the person did it kind of way. We're not saying that just to be clear. It's funny in a facepalm kind of way that, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. And part of it is how simple it was to create something that was so detrimental in general. Yeah. And so we're not encouraging anyone here. We don't want anyone else, especially in our audience, to create an everything package or anything like that. But the point is that it, it seems like every every there's a yin to the yang in, in pretty much every case. We, we create something, it's used for something we didn't expect it to. A policy is created and it's used to work against the platform that created it. Yeah. It's just... Um, you know, we're dealing with really smart people and really and smart people that want to pull a prank. You know, they they pull pranks and yeah. hopefully um, something good happens out of this, like a policy change or maybe a tweak of the policy or something. People can get pretty creative when they're trying to break stuff, um, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But yeah, and we've seen in the... <laughs> this was caused, the, the initial policy change was caused by a developer deleting their own code, deleting their own packages. And on a fundamental level, that's perfectly understandable. He, it's his code, he wants to take it out, he takes it out. The thing is, in environments like Node.js, you have thousands of packages. Many of those, probably more than half, much more than half, in fact, are just one-liners, are packages that have one line of code. And instead of coding that when you need that functionality on your application, the don't repeat yourself principle, dry, 
comes into play and in the developer's mind it goes yeah there's probably a package that does this i'm going to search for it and i'm going to include that package rather than writing the code myself when you do that you're not just pulling the behavior that you want you're also pulling all the vulnerabilities and all the shenanigans that are going to affect that package down the line and you're very likely not going to be up to date on all the changes and up to date on all the issues that crop up on those dependencies that you introduce and those packages will have other dependencies and it it just goes on for simple right. one-liners and you really need to stop and consider do i need to pull a package that has one line of code at that point you might as well just copy paste the code into your own code rather than adding a package it's I would probably agree easier that, and safer even. But one of my fears about this is that it could have another unintended consequence. I'm not t talking about this story in particular, but ones like it or any of the others where you have a system where a registry is in the news. Now, as an aside, if I'm a developer, and it, it makes sense, the, this method, because let's say I'm writing, a, I'm writing, I don't know, website code or I'm, I'm doing something in Node.js and I need to access the sound card. I want to play a sound effect for some reason. Everybody loves sound effects, right? I don't know. I just made that up. So I need to access the sound card to play a sound. Now I have two, there's two things I could do. I could A, import something that facilitates communicating with the sound card that someone else wrote, save me time. Or B, I could just write my own from scratch. Now I say it like it's easy. It's not. It's going to take a very long time. It's going to add a lot of uh, time to the development process. But my point is, how long until we have companies that are, and it might already be happening, that see these things happen in the news and they're like, well, let's not use other people's packages. Obviously, that's not very um, easy to do because no developer can write everything. But if companies are developing or basically reinventing the wheel when they could have imported the library, then conceivably, you know, not being as skilled at that as the other developers are, they might be putting new vulnerabilities in their software because they're trying to avoid other people's code because of things like this. Next thing you know, vulnerabilities, bugs, software flaws of all kinds just skyrocket because um, if someone thinks they could do it themselves and they're not very good at it, then guess what happens? And and then you have like a lot more, uh, a lot more frequently used security vulnerabilities that exist because someone tried to avoid using a library and they have some kind of an issue in their code that allows something bad to happen. And I, I worry about that because these things are created for everyone's convenience to, to benefit someone. They don't have to write a library that accesses the sound card because someone else did that. They don't have to write a cryptography uh, package if they wanna use um, encryption because someone else wrote that. And especially you shouldn't reinvent the wheel if it's encryption or cryptography of any kind, because as far as I know, pretty much everyone who tried to do that regretted it because there's a reason why we have things like OpenSSL in, in these libraries, because there's people that are on top of this. But when people try to write it themselves, they have problems. And now I think there's more of an incentive to avoid registries at this point. That's why I was mentioning just the one-liners. Um, yeah, as you say, the, the minute that you have somebody rewriting cryptography functions, then yeah, it has swung too far to the other side. But those are pretty good to, to include. One-liners, you're probably going to waste more time looking for the correct package rather than just writing the code yourself. Um, again, just put a comment right above, you know, 
pulled from this yeah. package, give them credit or something, I guess. But yeah, I, I agree. If it's one line of code, um, I mean, that's pretty easy to do. So, and and there's something else. You're a perfectly well written application. You're a perfectly fine website. It's going to break if something like this happens. And through no fault of your own, your code is perfect. But just because somebody was not happy with the way that their package was being treated, they removed it, and now your site is broken. Your code is failing, and your customers are seeing the error. Your customers don't care if it was you who wrote the code or if it was somebody else that wrote the code in the first place. They only see the error, and they only see the the effects of that. You're going to be paying the price of somebody else doing the wrong thing. Um, so. I know that in these environments you're encouraged to do this. You have the the packages in place exactly to do this and to avoid rewriting cryptography, as you were saying, to avoid avoid rewriting file I/O operations and all of that, and database access. Those are the hard ones. But checks like is Windows is Linux just to see what operating system you're on. Those are packages on Node.js. That's one line of code. Again you shouldn't be including one-liners just because of all the issues that you're going to have down the line or no benefit, no tangible benefit. It's not faster. It's not easier. It's actually harder to maintain, as we've seen. And again, copy-paste the code. The code is freely available. Yeah, I think that'd be a lot safer, uh, obviously. So I think at least, at least for the most part, if you don't really need a library, don't use it. Only use the ones you absolutely need. You know, like you're saying, if it just adds a few spaces, don't do that. Just stick to the ones that are critical that you cannot do yourself or should not do yourself and stick to that. But even then, I mean, still things like this can affect everyone, as you're saying, even when they've uh, they, they were minding their own business and not doing anything wrong. Or at the very least, when you're including something, look at the source code for it. See if it's actually something complex, if it's worth including something and having all the headaches down the line, or if it's something that you can actually do yourself because you're looking at the code and you're seeing how somebody else implemented it. It probably gave, gives you some idea of how to implement it yourself. Not the, the pages long li um, libraries, not uh, three megabytes of source code or something like that, because that's massive and you're not going to be able to handle that. Nobody is. Right. But right. again, one-liners, that really irks me a lot to see that type of packages out there. There should be a minimal amount of code that your package has to have to be able to be published to a registry. If you're just publishing one-liners just to get the credits and to be able to pad your resume with, oh, I created 1,500 packages. Yeah, that's 1,500 lines of code. Great. A good developer does that in a couple of weeks. Good for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're just introducing more entropy to the system, and you really shouldn't. But so again, we use the example of the pad left or left pad or whatever it was that adds spaces yeah. to the left of a string. And one of the things that, that, er, that gets me about that is this person figured out how to create a, you know, a, a plugin for or an NPM package, but they didn't know how to align text. How do you know how to create a package, but you're still using spaces to align text? I, I, I can't fathom learning how to create a package before learning how to properly put text on a screen. That is incredible. 
to their credit that was just a bad example yeah. on my part no, it's a good example it, it was likely not just yeah. used to a line code it was likely used when you need the string to be a fixed size and all of that for other reasons but still yeah there's going to be many more that are equally as you know yeah. question mark prone as that we use it as an example because it's a good one it's something yeah. that you probably shouldn't need and if that that uh developer goes to the dark side it could be the next story on this podcast and funnily enough, quite a few episodes back, I can't say exactly which one it was, but there was another case of another developer going rogue. But rather than removing their packages, he introduced malicious behavior to that package. Right. Um, I believe it was Callers. I can't remember the language. It was Python. I um, think so, yeah. The the package was called Callers, and the, the language was Python. And that library started to print out the US flag and some text uh, rather than actually using Callers and doing what it was supposed to be doing. And the developer went rogue and introduced a new version with the broken behavior. And he did it because it was his code. Nobody was paying him to do it differently, and he wanted to do it that way. And he broke everybody else's code that was using it. And again, dependencies are great when they're saving you time. Dependencies are really bad when they're breaking your code in unexpected ways like this. Yep, so now we, the registry is pretty much everything, everywhere, all at once, because that's what the everything package did. So I guess yeah. it's just all the things in one package, all the dependencies, and dependency hell is a weapon, which uh, I, I guess wouldn't be something that I'd predicted or would have predicted we'd be talking about. But uh, I thought yeah. dependency hell is a thing of a past, but it's come back in a different way. And I guess that closes the episode for us for today. So yep. thanks everybody who joined. Um, we'll deal with the, the connection issues in post and we'll have the, the correct video up. Um, yep. Again, thank you everybody. Happy New Year to you and see you on the next one. See ya.